Hi everyone, welcome to Luxury Voices, the podcast about the luxury world in Asia with a focus on the greater China market. I am Joanne Tang, your host, founder and CEO of Infinite Luxury Group. In this podcast, we converse about all layers and segments of luxury, from lifestyle, travel to hospitality trends. I will interview key players of the luxury industry from all corners of the globe. We will talk about their initiatives and experiences in conquering the Asian luxury consumer. Discover how leading luxury executives handle this growing market, where luxury spending is the highest in the world, and gain a wealth of knowledge to harness this ever-promising luxury market. Our luxury voice joining us today is Malik J. Fernando. Malik is a director of MJF Holdings and Dilmati. Established by Meryl J. Fernando, Dilmati, named after his two sons Dilhan and Malik, was the first producer-owned tea brand, offering tea picked, perfected and packed at origin. Malik is the managing director of Resplendent Salon the first Sri Lankan luxury resort brand. Resplendent Salon is developing a collection of small luxury resorts, offering travelers a remarkable circuit across Sri Lanka with a range of authentic experiences while distributing towards local communities and the environment through the MJF Foundation and Dilma Conservation. The iconic Ceylon tea trails in the tea-carpeted Central Highlands, Cape Willagama, a cliff-top beach resort, and Wild Coast Tented Lodge, a safari lodge, are members of Relais Chateau. Three more resorts are under development. Today, I'm speaking with Malik about the destination Sri Lanka, the challenges and opportunities for Resplendent Ceylon, and what luxury means for the travelers post-COVID-19 and for Malik himself. It is a great pleasure to have you here on Luxury Voices, Malik. How are you and how is the family? Very well, thank you, Joanne. We're all in relatively dire straits, but we are optimistic about the future. That's the main thing. Fantastic. Let's dive into our conversation. Conceived by the Fernando family, Sri Lankan tea producers and founders of Dilma Silan Tea, Resplendent Silan, a collection of small luxury resorts, offer the discerning traveler a remarkable journey across Sri Lanka with a range of authentic experiences. I know you very much like the story, but can you tell us the story of Resplendent Silan and the Fernando family, Malik? Absolutely, I would be delighted. It's really a story about tea because Sri Lanka was formerly known as Ceylon, as many of you would know, and it's best known for tea. And my father, Merrill, is he reached the age of 90 earlier on this year. He's still very active in the business. And uh, he had this dream of creating his own brand. So he's the most senior tea taster, tea grower in active service. But until the 80s, virtually, he was supplying tea in bulk to many countries around the world. He saw the branding that was going on, the blending, and he could see that his, his tea was being blended with many other origins and it was getting cheap. And so in 1988, 
He launched Dilma, which is now sold in over 100 countries around the world. It's in a lot of the top hotels and restaurants. A lot of the major international airlines use Dilma. And he named it after my brother Dilhan and myself Malik, hence Dilma. So I thought that my brother and I would be growing and selling tea all our lives. But serendipitously, I fell in love with the concept of restoring these historic tea planters bungalows on our tea estates, which in my view is the most beautiful part of Sri Lanka. So we took initially four and now we have five and six bedroomed houses, which we restored very authentically, very beautifully. It became the first relay chateau in Sri Lanka. And it is now sort of the icon for boutique luxury in the country. And that was in 2004 that we opened. And you know, I call myself an accidental hotelier because I didn't know being about running a hotel, except how I wanted our guests to feel. And then, you know, when the conflict that we had in Sri Lanka ended in 2009, tourism just boomed and tea trails did phenomenally well. Our clientele from Europe, UK, Australia, US, Asia, they all uniformly loved it. And then I thought, you know, okay, we're doing something right here, our whole service ethos, you know, the whole concept of slow travel, you know, non-cookie cutter resorts that, you know, we, we, there's something going on here that we can tap. So then in, in a short space of time, we took uh, a coconut estate that we had on the south coast near Gaul. Uh, Gaul is a, is a world heritage site, famous historic city. And we opened Cape Veligama, designed by a uh, well-known Thai architect Lek Bunag. He did a beautiful 39 villa and suite uh, resort dotted around this uh, cliff edge um, coconut estate. Cape Elgam opened in 2014 and in 2017 we opened Wild Coast Tented Lodge, which is our funkiest uh, resort in terms of design. It's these really cool looking cocoons that look like airships that are in the middle of the jungle, right next to a national park that is alive with uh, elephant, and leopard and so on. So we now have a circuit of these three resorts, which we call Resplendent Ceylon. And we have a resort in the Cultural Triangle, which is the heart of our 2,000-year-old civilization. It's our version of Angkor Wat, you could say. Um, that's under development. And then we're working on a resort on the East Coast, finally Colombo. So that's the accidental hotelier moniker that I've picked up because, you know, it, it came from tea to hotels. And now, you know, it's very much family, family managed, uh, family touches. And it's something which delights guests because it's a very authentic uh, story. Thank you for sharing this inspiring story, Malik. And a belated happy 90th birthday to Mr. Fernando. Thank you. Thank you, Joanne. <laughs> Before we get into the core of our conversation, can you tell us what luxury means to you? Well, Luxury to me is not about a status symbol or glitz, but I think about how we make you feel. I mean, creature comforts, your conventional luxury are a basic requirement. So that goes without saying. But really, the new luxury is human emotional connections with our people. That's what our guests really rave about. The genuine warmth of Sri Lankans you know, the sense of discovery, interpretation, guiding that we offer at our resorts, whether it's interpretation of the beautiful art of Ceylon tea or our guiding by the rangers at Wild Coast Lodge, 
you know, explaining about leopard behavior or the whale watch at uh, Cape Veligama because we have an amazing blue whale colony, a permanent colony that's just 10 kilometers offshore. So it's this sense of discovery, what's unique about Sri Lanka and crafted for you in a very sort of intimate, private manner. I think for me, that's the luxury that I aspire to and we seek to deliver that is layered on top of your basic functional hardware software luxury but to me that's that's what makes sri lanka uh, in in a very optimum position i mean it's not been known for luxury but the warmth of our people the authenticity of our experiences the beauty of the country and how we make people feel i think we are very you know perfectly positioned for this new luxury which is going to be post-pandemic, um, as we all emerge next year, is going to be even more in demand. Yes, I can see that the luxury that you explained and described, you really included nicely into your properties. And talk about recovery. In the year following the devastating Easter Sunday attacks, tourist arrivals in Sri Lanka stumbled. Nonetheless, Sri Lanka made a steady recovery, and by December 2019, Sri Lanka tourism had rebounded. Just as the hospitality industry was getting back on its feet, the COVID-19 pandemic struck. By March 2020, the number of international tourist arrivals in Sri Lanka had declined by 70% in comparison to a year ago. Sri Lanka tourism very much depends on the international markets. So how did COVID-19 impact Respondent Ceylon? So if you look at the Easter Sunday attacks, I mean, that seems like a distant memory now. That was an absolute outlier. We knew it was a one-off. And, you know, people felt safe a few months uh, later, as soon as security was ramped up. And then business came back. And as you said, by December of 2019, we were virtually back to where we were uh, before that. So we had an excellent quarter from December through till March. And we were looking forward to a great 2020. But this COVID obviously has been far more devastating because it's, it's impacted all, all our markets, uh, as well as the fact that even for domestic tourism, because of the restrictions that have been in place, it's been very, very slow. I mean, Sri Lanka has handled it pretty well. We shut down early, early March. Uh, the whole country was in lockdown for almost a month and a half. We've had a total of just 13 deaths as a result of the pandemic thus far. So it, it's, it's, it's built up a reputation as, as, as a very desirable destination to come to post-COVID. But the domestic business, it's not a big market. And particularly at our positioning, it's unaffordable for many. But I must say that, uh, you know, many Sri Lankans who would travel overseas on holiday have been forced to travel at home. They heard about our resorts, but they never expected the kind of pampering and the kind of experiences. So it's actually been a wonderful eye-opener for many of the um, higher-end travelers in this country uh, who've been forced to travel uh, within our borders. So that means it bodes well going forward that we should have from previously maybe a 4 5% domestic clientele. It could go up as high as 15 and maybe 30%, you know, in the so-called um, quieter periods when we have fewer foreign travelers. So it's been positive in terms of forcing us to attract domestic business and domestic travelers being you know, forced to look at properties within the country. But it really hasn't uh, covered our bottom line, to, so to speak. So it's been pretty awful from a financial standpoint. 
Yes, hopefully uh, the travel restrictions and borders reopen uh, very soon so we can all resume our businesses. Countries in Asia seem to have managed the pandemic quite efficiently. As we move towards a path of recovery, how important do you think the Asian markets will be for your hotels? Oh, gosh, the Asian markets are absolutely critical. I mean, typically, Sri Lanka has been more Western market in terms of long haul travel in the past. So but in the last 10 years or so, Asian travelers have really discovered this country. India is critical. China is critical. And if you look at the broader, I mean, Australia isn't Asia, but if you look at this part of the world, we've really had significant growth in regional markets. It's short haul, medium haul, no transits. So that's going to be desirable post pandemic. Sri Lankan Airlines, which is a pretty good airline, It has a lot of frequencies to India and China. Asian travelers make up about 25, 20 to 25% of our market right now from probably about 5%. Speaking of respondents, around about 5% 10 years ago, it's now quite significant. There's also the seasonality because Asian travelers would travel at other times of the year because the Western travelers would be mainly in their winter season. So it gives us a very nice seasonality. It levels out the so-called off-season that we used to have. Uh, that's been really welcome. So India travelers will travel throughout the year. Chinese travelers also throughout. They'll come maybe in October, which is which conventionally has been an off-season because Europeans haven't been traveling. But the country is, the weather is gorgeous and it's as nice as ever. So it's really good to see regional Asian travelers Uh, leveling out the seasonality. They can also travel more often, being short and medium haul, so multiple annual visits are possible versus the uh, maybe a you know annual trip by, from long haul. And also Sri Lanka is an undiscovered gem still relatively. It's, it's raw, it's fresh versus many other Asian destinations. So the Asian traveler would, I think, be delighted. The variety in this country is unsurpassed. It's six or seven countries in one. It's almost like a continent. You might say in terms of the types of attractions that you would get uh, as you travel around the country. And it's a country that's very small. It's pretty easy to get around. But you get so many different ecosystems. So short answer is very important. Yes, I fully agree with you about the Asian market being a, a regional market for you, the accessibility, uh, the different seasonality that complements the long-haul markets. And Sri Lanka is a very up-and-coming destination for the Asian travelers, as you said, an undiscovered dream. Absolutely. It absolutely is. The fact that we emerged after a period of conflict meant that we didn't have the rampant development that many other destinations have had. So it's really, you know, it's really just about 10 years old since it came out of its shell. And, uh, you know, it hasn't been overdeveloped. You've got you know, wonderful zones within the country which, which haven't been touched for decades and decades. And I think that's what the modern traveler likes that it's, it's, it's a new type of luxury. You feel that you're discovering. It's that pristinity that Sri Lanka affords that I think is going to be in huge demand post-pandemic. There's as well a growing demand for travel after the lockdown. Travelers have been dreaming of where they would like to be. There's even a term, revenge or relief travel, for wanting to bust out of lockdown. And it's predicted that luxury travel will come back even faster. What are your thoughts and what kind of market outlook and trends do you forecast, Malik? 
Yeah, I mean, I agree. You see, travel cannot be substituted. People crave to travel, so they've spent a lot of time in lockdown researching their next trip, looking at photos from their last trip. You know, it's the most aspirational way to spend time. It's what people look forward to. And I don't think it can ever go out of style like department stores or office buildings. And it can't be replaced by technology. I mean, whatever virtual reality might do, as far as I understand, you just can't replace that, you know, the authenticity of being in that place. So I do believe that, uh, you know, higher end resorts, luxury resorts, which offer that space, Relay Chateau type resorts like our own, which are kind of in, you know, nature focused, you know, remote destinations with automatic physical distancing are going to be in vogue. Big cities, less so, but the sort of nature-oriented off-grid locations like the three resorts that are part of Resplendent Ceylon and other off-grids. I mean, I really think that the Relais Chateau type resort will will benefit very strongly because they're away from towns, they're, they're in the countryside, surrounded by nature. And I think that you're going to have people traveling fewer overall trips, but longer stays, given the hassles with flights and so on. You know, you don't want to just take a five, six day trip, you want to be away for maybe even a couple of weeks. Uh, and the fact that you can, you know, work from wherever you are and, you know, it's a whole leisurely, slow travel, you know, less hopping around. I think people are going to be more likely eating in, eating in, in your hotel or your restaurant, less likely to be going out for meals as much, you know, particularly with safety in mind. Multi-generation travel, I think that's also going to be big. Grandparents, parents, kids have been separated. They want to get back together again when it's, uh, you know, uh, all clear is sounded. So I, I really do believe that travel will come back in a big way, particularly when protocols are in place and that um, the luxury travel, I think, will come back faster, particularly with, you know, cost of flights and all that potentially going up. Yes, yeah, staying in uh, one destination within one trip, longer holidays, uh, stay in enjoying the hotel facilities and multiple family trips, those are exactly the audience that's perfect for uh, Resplendent Ceylon. Absolutely. And also the fact that we have a circuit, Joanne, of three currently and soon five. You can stay within that circuit under the care of one company with its demonstrated safety protocols. There isn't the handover from one company to another, you know, one guide, one driver to another. So the fact that you could have one person, one small group taking care of your whole stay in country, moving between resorts which have a uniform level of of uh, safety control and you know service philosophies really is going to benefit us. I think people are going to be hopping around less. They want to work with a handful of trusted providers. I think you know for for travel advisors, trust is a new currency. Business through travel advisors will increase significantly versus OTAs, at least in the medium term. So all of that bodes well for luxury accommodation. Your resorts have launched a safe stay, a dedicated health and safety guide for hotels to monitor and manage health and safety measurements. Despite compromising of low-density resorts in isolated locations, Respondent Salon be- believes the guide is essential to ensure protection of guests, staff, and respective communities. Can you tell us more about the initiative Stay Safe? Yeah. So 
safe stay is our health and safety protocol. I mean, although we're a small hotel company and generally these protocols are rolled out by the big groups, we thought, you know, considering our positioning, our demanding guests and our requirement to be absolutely flawless in execution, we use the first three or four weeks of the lockdown where the, the, the staff were in the resort to look at all our processes and to develop this on the ground practically. So our team have come up with this safe stay, which we've actually shared with the industry. So it's been it's put out there for anybody to use. It, it can be applied across the board. So it comprises of 56 standards to cover all aspects from back of house to the front of house guest experience. It's in a graphical layout, which is process centric. It's not wordy. It's very easy to understand visually what, who, why, when. So it complies with the guidelines of Sri Lanka tourism and global best practices, but it's something that's kind of crafted uniquely for our situations, our locations. All staff have been thoroughly trained and get retrained. And the feedback from guests, the local guests that we've had, is that they feel really reassured by what we do from the point of the reservation to the point of arrival, ongoing with these temperature checks or how we handle the housekeeping, how we handle the restaurant. And they they and they feel that it, it's really reassuring, but it's not like hospital like. No one wants to go in and and you know feel that you're in you know medical institutions. It, it's got to be something that's discreet but impactful and effective. And recently at Wild Coast Tented Lodge, a safari lodge, we did have a staff member who tested positive when he was at home. But we immediately, in line with the protocol, we shut down the whole resort. We had the testing done. We had our contact tracing. We contacted all our former guests and, you know, tracked them through to ensure they got tested. And we actually came through with flying colors. So it was sort of an unintentional trial, shall we say, but it, it worked really, really well. So, I mean, Safe Stay is something which has got our whole team galvanized around protecting our guests themselves, fellow ambassadors, team members, and the local community. And I would say that it's a kind of case study for a health and safety protocol put out by a small hotel company. Having these safety measurements in place, I'm sure it reassured the guests very much. And I agree with you, all these safety measurements has to be done discreetly so the guests don't have to see it on a day-to-day basis when they are on, on property. Absolutely. So they need to know that there is a process that's going on, there's checking, but it's not in their face. And I think we've got the balance right. Fantastic. How's the current situation with COVID-19 in Sri Lanka? Are there still restrictions put in place for the population or for future travelers? Well, we actually motoring along pretty well all the way through till September. There were no restrictions. We were basically operating back to normal, but based on certain health and safety protocols that everyone had to follow. Unfortunately, we had a setback with a cluster developing in an industrial zone in the first week of October. And that has spread, but of course, within that same cluster. So they're all connected. And we've had a whole bout of cases, no deaths, none serious. So that's currently resulting in specific lockdowns in particular areas to nip this in the bud and prevent it spreading broader. And I'm confident with with the controls we have in place that will get settled in the next two or three weeks. So we've had a bit of a temporary setback prior to which we were actually planning on reopening and the basis on which we reopen. But, you know, that's the nature of this virus. It operates in a very unexpected manner. 
So I think in about two weeks, we should get back to where we were, which is a fairly stable situation. You have seen how communities living in rural areas, which are dependent on tourism for income, struggle. COVID-19 has adversely impacted livelihoods and businesses on an inconceivable level. As tourism is a lifeline for many rural communities, especially in Sri Lanka, you work closely with MJF Charitable Foundation and Dilma Conservation to give villages surrounding resplendent Ceylon properties a source of sustainable income. Can you tell us more about MJF Foundation and Dilma Conservation and its missions? Sure, absolutely. I mean, actually, we work throughout Sri Lanka, including uh, the areas immediately around our resorts, because this started well before Resplendent Ceylon and our hotels. It all started with my father. Uh, I mean, his motto is that business is a matter of human service. He was inspired by his mother, who was very generous with the villagers where he was in in a rural part of, of Sri Lanka, north of Colombo. And then from maybe 20, 25 years ago, he started being you know, very caring uh, as the business started doing better, the tea business, you know, looking after his employees in an increasingly proactive and generous manner. And then we formalized the foundation, two foundations, MJF Charitable Foundation, which is all about social justice and people and Dilma Conservation, which is biodiversity and the environment. 15% of our earnings uh, before tax from all our businesses, that's Dilma Tea, our other businesses and our hotel business, goes automatically to these two foundations. They are the two most active foundations, I would say, in Sri Lanka. We manage outcomes. We do not simply make donations to third parties, which is fairly easy to do. We don't write checks. We don't call it CSR, but it's actually a core part of how we do business. So I say we manage outcomes, meaning the people we work with, we work alongside them for generations to ensure that there is genuine, authentic well-being. So, for example, the MJF Charitable Foundation, we've got 16 centers throughout the country, two major ones, one south of Colombo, which is on a nine-acre site, and one on the east coast near Batiklo, which is one of the poorest parts of the country on a 22-acre site. And each of these locations have hundreds and thousands of people who are being taken care of in one way or the other on a daily basis. So some of the examples of our programs relevant to hospitality is our Empower Culinary School, which is a completely free boot camp to turn out budding chefs. We work purely with the underprivileged, the differently abled, some with cerebral palsy, some who are tea pluckers' kids. And it's a completely free education associated with the World Association of Chef Societies and uh, so we do a boot camp. We've put out about 200 chefs thus far, and all of them have got employment. They had very little opportunity before. They come from the poorest parts of Sri Lanka. So at Resplendent Ceylon, we've taken quite a few of them into our hotels. Many have gone into international brands working in Sri Lanka, like Shangri-La and the Hilton. Some have traveled overseas. Some have been part of Boku's Door culinary competition winning teams. So that's Empower Culinary School. Then we have the National Cerebral Palsy Center. We've just rolled out an app to help all families suffering from cerebral palsy to make the best of it uh, and to get advice uh, of an international standard. Uh, We have the National Down Syndrome Center. We work with small entrepreneurs. We call it the Small Entrepreneur Program that started soon after the tsunami. 
where we take uh, people who've got ideas, who are innovative but need seed capital and guidance, and we set them up in small businesses, shoemakers, tailors, dressmakers, you know, bakers and so on. We work with prison parolees, so people, you know, hardened criminals, murderers who are put out on parole, they're back in again. The reoffense rate is about 90% because they don't have livelihoods. They're ostracized by society. But by giving them all the tools to be a small entrepreneur, the reoffense rate has dropped down to less than 10% for those prison parolees that have come under our small entrepreneur program. Uh, Dilma Conservation, as you may know, we are setting up the first national leopard research center at Wild Coast Lodge. We've got two climate research stations. We put out a lot of publications about the heritage of Sri Lanka, the vanishing historic tribes, and about nature. So these two uh, foundations are very close to my father, my brothers, and my heart. And we say travel with purpose. So we integrate them into the guest experience pretty closely. So when you're at a resort, you can see and participate in some of the activities of the foundations near the resort. I mean, that that is a true connection with the country, the new luxury, part of the new luxury. The mother inspires the son, the son inspires his son. How beautiful, Malik. <laughs> These are uh, wonderful initiatives, programs and foundations. I as well believe the best charity is not to give uh, funds or funding, but it is to set people ready for the future. Thank you very much for sharing, Malik. Welcome, welcome, Joanne. I mean, something it's really, it's a central driving tenet of Dilma and Resplendent. And in everything we do revolves around that. And you know, our employees share that passion. They all help out in the centers closest to them. And my father actually is quite proud in 2015, the Nobel laureates in yes. uh, ec economics and peace in, in Oslo, Norway. Uh, they have a prize called Business for Peace, business people who do you know special work, peace building and working with the community. And he was given that award in 2015. So he's quite proud of that as, as, as our, uh, my brother and I. Yes, talking about awards and uh, recognitions, Dilma's three resplendent salon resorts did remarkably well. Placed three, five, and eight in Asia in the Condé Nast Traveler Reader's Choice Awards. More than 700,000 readers submitted responses, rating their travel experiences across the globe to determine the winners. Congratulations in this accomplishment and recognition. Does an independent-owned hotel collection needs to work harder for the same recognitions versus a well-established international hotel group with existing infrastructure? Yes, compared to the international brands for the independent hotels, you know, our communications are not as strong, brand awareness and so on. So it, it is a, a greater challenge. You know, we don't have the, the same level of PR and marketing budgets and so on. But however, independents like Resplendent Salon and many others can surprise and delight, you know, because with our non-standardized approach, you know, you, you might go into a, a big brand and there is, you know, people kind of know what to expect, whether it's the design, whether it's the whole service philosophy. But independents can have that opportunity to surprise. So in our case, the three resorts, although they have a common thread of superlative service, they're all very, very different in how it makes you feel and the locality and in our case because you know 50 to 60 percent of our clients do a circuit of all three 
So, you know, someone experiences the whole circuit on one trip. So that's an advantage. I think ongoing feedback is absolutely critical in order to get this kind of recognition and, and guest feedback and to take immediate corrective action. For me, you know, sitting I- I in Colombo and the resorts being away, uh, although I do visit, you know, quite often, you know, I keep my finger on the pulse by looking at guest feedback. And we focus on not your conventional guest feedback, which might be 15 or 20 percent, but we get almost 80 or 90 percent of feedback with net promoter scores, you know, between 95 and 99, which is pretty unprecedented. Uh, so the NPS is very important. There's a very sort of active, fierce competition amongst the resorts in this scoring. And, you know, there's cheering on because there's a lot of visibility in terms of the guest scores. We put it out on our Slack channel. So every resort knows how the other one's doing and they cheer each other on uh, or collectively we'll sort of hang our heads in shame and fix the problem ASAP. So I, I like to interact very closely with our guests as a follow-up if there's any point they raise for corrective action or improvement. And I really crave feedback to improve because, you know, those improvements are generally very easy to do. There's nothing hugely complicated. Most of the feedback that we get, and, you know, it's, it's like an ongoing mystery shopper who's there day in, day out. So I think responsiveness to feedback, taking corrective action and having a dialogue with guests, which is so much easier in a small resort because you have fewer numbers of guests. It's much harder if, you, you know, it's a huge hotel, a huge chain. So I think that's really how independence can can score on these criteria which are which are very very useful for for marketing yes ongoing guest feedback is the opportunity to uh, further improve and yes i remember that there is a small guest survey after each stay uh, of the property and guests will get a personal note from you after submitting this survey i remember that <laughs> yeah, and, and and I do honestly look at every one of them. And even after the personal note, once I digest the feedback, I'll write again and I'll say, look, okay, can you clarify what you meant by this? And this is what we've done. So it builds that that loyalty and the connection with the guests. And then, you know, they'll obviously go and vote for us. That's right. That's right. And talking about uh, my stay, I've stayed with my family in all three resplendent Zealand properties, experiencing tea, sea and safari. The whole trip was amazing from the property's design, overall experiences, activities, culinary and service. And because the three experiences were so diverse, it seemed that we had three holidays in one trip. Can you share with us how you as an independent hotel and also an accidental hotelier accomplished this and how do you constantly improve yourself? See, I, if I had a grand plan and I said, look, I'm going to open three, five, six hotels and this is my brand standard and hired consultants and all that, I really wouldn't have been able to create this organic, original distinctiveness uh, that guests love. You know, I think the fact that I never set out to brand, I look at the Resplendent Salon, not as a brand, but as a collection, similar to Relais Chateau, which I love and many of our guests do, where you've got three resorts currently, which are all very, very distinctive. It's a collection. They all have a unique sense of place. We don't have brand manuals. At the early days, you know, many of our guests didn't realize it was the same owner, which was intentional. They'll bump into the same guest who was at T-Trails when they go to Wild Coast and Cape Elegama. And, you know, that really was, was the plan. And when we started Wild Coast, I remember the architects asking for our brand standard from a design perspective. I said I had nothing. 
<laughs> give me give me your ideas and you know we came up with this um, really amazing concept so the fact that we are looking at creating this collection each a little gem in this relay chateau style is i think what makes every resort as delightful and everyone's got a favorite but they love them all so for example in the cultural triangle we're designing in this 14 acre ancient forest with this massive you know 2 300 year old trees with really broad you know 8 9 10 foot trunks uh lek bonag who's the same architect pai architect who did kepelgava he's designed a beautiful elevated structure that overlooks the bund onto a private lake and a mountain in front with an amazing pool or at the very very top at the tree top height now that is not comparable to any of our other resplendent resorts nor any other hotel in the world so i think the point is that each resort is it's designed like the one and only one that we are building uh so that's what you know delivers on this delight as well as the whole service and the staffing that i'm very very fortunate to have sri lankans are genuinely warm you know they really want to showcase our country there is nothing fake about them and i think i'm fortunate at resplendent we nurture that kind of approach and the individuality so i've really got a really really good crew allied with the uniqueness of the resort so that's what delights gets us the award and makes you feel joan how how you felt at the end of your visit yes because the three properties are so different the traveler really does not know that it's one collection they only will know when the host actually starts to share the guest preference and request that they had at the previous day so i guess the properties communicate uh, to each exactly. other and this is a major wow factor yes exactly i mean uh, as i said we've got about 60% staying in all three resorts my target is 75 because we're not cookie cutter so if you've got say long haul guests from america if they come, they'll come to sri lanka because of resplendent ceylon i mean the country's beauty the sites all that but in terms of accommodation options they'll travel all the way or from australia and they would stay within our circuit they don't have to look anywhere else so when we open up dambulla that will be the fourth circuit so it makes it easier to sell the property because our guests if they're going to the cultural triangle uh, would choose to stay with us so yeah thanks for that feedback joan thank you What is your vision for a uh, resplendent salon? Well, I think in a nutshell it's to showcase Sri Lanka as it deserves. Uh, you know, it really hasn't been positioned correctly. A lot of people would not connect it with the new luxury that we offer, you know, the the pristinity, the nature, the warmth of the people. You know, it, it may be perceived as a cheap destination in some markets. maybe because we do have a lot of average properties as well but those are our legacy properties that have been here for a long time but there is a new breed uh, of sri lankan tourism and resorts exemplified by uh, resplendent ceylon you know it's six it's six countries in one and my vision for resplendent is for us to continue to be the best way to see sri lanka in the new luxury with purpose connecting with what we do and the interactions we offer our guests with the MJ Foundation and Dilma Conservation connected by train we have this most beautiful train trip in the world through the T estates uh, the BBC recently covered it in the world's great train journeys or float plane you land at T trails in a float plane 
25 minutes after taking off from the Colombo airport or very, very scenic road trip. So I would say my vision in a nutshell is to showcase Sri Lanka as it truly deserves and for Resplendent to be the best way to see all these sub zones that Sri Lanka offers, which generally you would have to travel a continent to see. But here you have a 65,000 square kilometer landmass, which is uh, 400 kilometers by 200 kilometers. That's the size. It's pretty tiny. But, you know, we offer the world in one pear or mango shaped island. So that really is, is my vision for Resplendent to really spearhead the new positioning for Sri Lanka. That's a beautiful vision, Malik. I look forward to seeing that coming true very soon. Thank you, Joanne. Thank you. I'm optimistic. I mean, although we are all in a very depressing situation right now, you know, this time next year, I think we look back on this and say, gosh, how unimaginable, but, you know, things are looking much better now. That That is what I'm looking forward to. And I think Sri Lanka will do very, very well post-pandemic uh, for all the reasons that I mentioned. Yes, we have to stay optimistic. Before ending our conversation, I would like to ask you a few more personal questions. You can answer quickly or you can okay. elaborate as much as you like. Sure. Outside of tea, what's your favorite drink? Outside of tea, ah, gosh, I love my malt whiskey. <laughs> I love discovering different, different parts and, you know, being surprised. So I mean, that's that's my short answer with two cubes of ice, no, no water. <laughs> Malt whiskeys with two cubes of ice. Great. So who, who doesn't love wine? Also, but I think I think malt <laughs> is my go-to go-to drink. I see. What's on your travel bucket list for the next five years? Oh gosh. Okay, the bucket's got much much bigger. We had planned in May of this year. We'd planned an immer, you know, really fabulous Tanzania Kenya program. So a, a group of eight of us every year we'll go somewhere we've not been. And I'm the travel planner and I plan everything and I tell them, this is where we're going. And they all take it by surprise and they love love it. So we did South Africa three years ago and then we did northern Spain, so-called green Spain, you know, away from the south coast and the hurly-burly of tourism. Uh, that was wonderful food and drink, beautiful sights along the Atlantic, ending up in Galicia. And so what was on the cards for this year was... Um, was East Africa, which is going to be the next trip. We obviously just postponed it following the, the migration in, in um, mobile camps. Bucket list. I love trains. I'd love to do the Trans-Siberian. I just think it might be too much to chew in terms of time. So, you know, there's a beautiful train, the Belmont train in, in Peru, in South America. So South America is a bucket list. It's very, very far from Sri Lanka, but that's something which is very much bucket list. And a small, intimate family cruise. So my father, my brother, his kids, and my kids, so there's 10 of us in all. We had planned a beautiful Greek island trip in August, also cancelled, so that's also postponed. So really, the bucket list in the medium term comprises of all the postponed trips from 2020, so not much planning to do. <laughs> doesn't sound like a bucket a wish list anymore. It sounds like a planned planned schedule for different kind <laughs> Actually, of trips. It, is. It, it, it really is. You just got to press go again. You know, so it's really frustrating. <laughs> uh, you know, everything was paid for, ready to go, and then this hit. Uh, so that'll keep us busy for the next three or four years. I'm sure. My last question: Tea, sea, or safari? For me, it's tea. For me, it's tea because that <laughs> is, you know, that's where I fell in love with 
tourism and the guest experiences, you know, the climate at an elevation of 2000 meters, endless walking, mountain biking, scenery. The tea country in Sri Lanka is beautiful, you know, it, and it's so accessible. 25 minutes by uh, float plane from the international airport or four hours by road. So it's very much tea. I mean, I love the sea. Our coast is wonderful and our safari is unmatched. I would say it's the best safari outside Africa, very high density of leopard. But tea country is very, very special. And that's, that's you know, it's tea is in my genes. So it's Dilma country. So it has to be my favorite. So tea. Malik, yeah. <laughs> it was a true pleasure catching up with you. And I look forward to visiting your beautiful properties again very soon and have a cup of tea with you. And thank you for being one of our luxury voices. Thank you, Joanne. See you soon on the other side. And uh, thank you for the privilege of, of having me on the, on the podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Luxury Voices. If you have enjoyed it and found this episode useful, please share it with your network, like it, rate it, and help us spread our voices. You can find information about today's voice and the podcast content in the podcast notes. Luxury Voices is a podcast created by Infinite Luxury Group, a luxury sales, marketing, communication specialist based in Asia. Please tune in for the next episode. Bye for now.